deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world has opened up as has the Griffin. Hello everyone and welcome to the Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for lapsed fans. I am your host, ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, um, we have not checked in with our favorite mobile game, Hogwarts Mystery. Yeah, yeah. I guess we we touched on it accidentally when I had my my um, Jacob sibling uh, <laughs> issue yeah. recently. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I guess that really goes a long way to show that we didn't play that game. We did not play that game, and but do you remember in the game? Uh, being choked by a devil snare and having to pay money to get past it. I think this happens actually fairly early on. Yeah, I remember it distinctly as the first place that you just can't keep playing, right? Yeah. Because th- those those mobile games they love to, they love to ramp you. Like it's like you can play for maybe thirty minutes to an hour before you hit that spot where it's like, oh, now you need to pay maybe once every. 10 minutes if you if you want if you want to play any longer so that was like the spot where the game uh (laughs) became unplayable because i was not going to pay real money right and and this is so that is my exact experience as well i was enjoying it i hit this wall i was just kind of like okay whatever and like it did not hook me and i did not keep up with it Um, i tried really hard to keep coming back and i think i made it through maybe two or three plot events after the devil's snare before I fell off. Um, Mm -hmm. But that, but that was about it. Yeah. And I, you know, the community had a lot of complaints around this thing too. They, uh, they, they, you know, they felt like they were being nickel and dimed. They were, they, you know, they didn't feel like this game lent itself very well to a mobile structure. It was a whole to do, but it is back in the news. This particular scene, (laughs) Uh, thank you to everyone. Like 50 people tweeted this at us, not literally, but, but quite a few people tweeted this at us. Uh, and it's beautiful. This is from Eurogamer. Harry Potter mobile game makers defend child choking scene, which asks you to wait or pay money. I think the headline speaks for itself. It's very good. Um, I don't know what, like, when did this like become a controversy? I don't think it has, or like, or maybe if it. From reading the article, it seems like this is like entirely self uh, like inflicted here because I don't think there was a like there was no outcry over this. I don't remember anyone saying, uh, uh, you know, hey, I was playing this game and then a kid started getting strangled on my screen. It's fucked up. <laughs> I think this really kind of misrepresents what people were actually saying, which is yeah. more of the idea that it ruins the tension of the event yes. right like it's like as a game there's some cute stuff going on and there's some interesting story beats but the monetization undermines that right i don't think it was a moral panic about the actual scene <laughs> in the game no but they you know the 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 designer uh the, the boss of the developer the boss of the development studio jam city his name is uh yash igato uh, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Iguado? Iguado? Uh, we've tried to create a game and write a story that has stakes, that has dramatic moments that reflect the level of drama and emotion that you see in the films and mm. the books. 
I don't think being in the perilous situation is unique to our Harry Potter game when you compare it to the films and the books. I don't think our game is more violent or more scary than any of the other Potter stories. Without a doubt, we leave you at a cliffhanger. It seems like if a book's chapter ends at a dramatic moment, sometimes a dangerous moment, and then continues after that, we're okay with it. If a film scene or even a television scene ends at a dramatic moment, and then the next episode, the scene resolves, we're okay with it. I'm hoping we can also measure our game by the same standard. This is so weird. Where did this come from? You know, I'm always talking about the future of books. Um, physical yeah. books are over. Mm-hmm. Not interested. No. Um, ebooks are in. Um, yep. and, and one of my big things that I'm pushing for in, in the world of new books is adding Wattpad comments into your into uh, every yes. book, right? Like, yes. I, wa- I want to be reading Billy Bud Sailor, and I want to see, like, like 40 comments on a line and be able to like click on it and see and see what the people are saying so i I think damn this shit gay (laughs) this is so gay um uh billy billy bud sailor but then on the other hand like the the dark side of this this new wonderful future that i see is like you hit you hit a cliffhanger you know what's going to happen to billy bud sailor um he's he's being you know he killed he killed that guy and it's like all of a sudden you flip the page and it's like you have to wait 30 minutes to read the next one or pay 20 dollars. <laughs> damn you thought this was my man's naval ship I I really I I'm uh really kind of wanting to congratulate myself for picking Billy Bud Sailor as the book that theoretically someone would be on the edge of their seat reading. I'm, like I'm, I I have yeah. to read more. <laughs> I have to read yeah, I like it. That's a that's a good pull. I was having a real hard time not making any Sopranos references there cuz there's a very good Sopranos Billy Bud scene. You know, I've never seen The Sopranos. Good show. I would say it left a wake of prestige TV that has gotten worse and worse over time, but as kind of the progenitor, really good. Yeah, it's kind of like the future of books where it's like we get these <laughs> Wattpad comments, but they're also going to monetize the cliffhangers. And it's like, well, we got the Sopranos, but now we have prestige TV. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's balance in the universe. It's so funny. I, I just, I don't remember there ever being any, like you say, moral panic over like, my character's being choked. No, I don't think anyone it's it's not like your character dies if you leave it there. Yeah, I I don't I that's quite a stretch, I would say. Uh but uh but it was I you know makes for a good headline and a very funny photograph of a, <laughs> of a of a character being strangled by the snare. But other than that, I'm sorry to say we're kind of still in a news lull. Um, J.K. Rowling is missing once more. We haven't had any new uh, Cursed Child announcements. We haven't had any game announcements. We're coming up on E3. I hope we see that game there. Um, right and wizards unite um i've been playing a little bit of pokemon go to try to mm-hmm. try to get get ready get um, ready to, get to play it. that style of game mm-hmm. um but but i guess we're, we're still we're still waiting do we have a release date on that game i don't even no, remember not not for america not yet but uh you know as soon as we do we should make some plans to to go find harry potter getting sucked off in the park uh, right yeah and and, and uh, make make some content around that but that means that I have been forced to reach back in time. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about how, you know, all things considered for a, for a series that, you know, is more or less, you know, in its, in its twilight years, uh, Harry Potter still gets a lot of news. Um, but when 
when there's a lull, when there's a break, there's so much more to go back to. There's been Harry Potter news since the dawn of t- time. And by that, I mean the dawn of 20 years ago. I plugged in a specific date range. I was like, okay, between 1998 and 2005. And I found this beautiful article from 1995, or excuse me, from 2005. I wish it was from 1995. Oh my God. <laughs> For the Harry Potter fan, puberty brings nothing but trouble. <laughs> There was a time when the young wizard of J.K. Rowling's magical saga spent his days at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, blithely dodging hexes, solving improbable mysteries, and grappling with his twin roles as savior of the world and best-selling literary phenomenon. Simple stuff. Then came Adolescence and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the penultimate installment in Rowling's seven-part series, his hormones flowing thicker than chilled polyjuice, a teenage Harry fell hard for his best friend Ron Weasley's sister, Ginny. Ron, in turn, toppled into the arms of Harry's other best friend and Hogwarts resident genius, Hermione Granger. Kissing in peril and heroism ensued. Again, simple stuff. Or maybe not. Enter the shippers. I... oh. Oh, I see. In the Harry Potter fandom, shipping... Short for relationshiping, <laughs> simply means championing a romantic relationship between certain characters, either within canon or in works of fan fiction. I love fan- that. I love that turn of phrase that you champion a relationship. Like I, <laughs> I am, I am the knight of Cat Redora. Right? Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> fan pen fiction that spins off an original narrative. Potter fans have long been divided into camps advocating one ship, in quotes, over another. (laughs) Some celebrate the pairing of Harry and Hermione, for example. Others want to see Harry and his nemesis, Draco Malfoy, erase the thin line between love and hate. Competition Mm. has been especially fierce between the Harry and Hermione and Harry and Ginny camps, where devotees have spent years arguing on various websites, two words, forums, (laughs) and mailing lists arguing the plausibility of their chosen pairings. The Half-Blood Prince should have settled the matter when it matched Harry with Ginny and Hermione with Ron. Instead, it's caused an eruption of fanish dismay. That woman has completely destroyed my faith in ever having a real relationship, (laughs) opined one Harry Hermione shipper on an online message board. Another pronounced the book a large steaming pile of decaying crap. I mean, I agree, but yeah, (laughs) I I agree, but maybe not because of that. Uh, Discontent trebled after administrators from two of the Internet's largest fan sites, The Leaky Cauldron and MuggleNet, published an extensive three-part interview with Rowling. Oh, my. Leaky Cauldron. So this is the thing we were talking about. You know, we we were theorizing about, like, is there going to be a schism between um, MuggleNet and Leaky Cauldron? This right. interview is like part of the lore where they like teamed up to interview J.K. Rowling. Uh, we should dig into this interview at some point because absolutely, it's, I, I bet it's very funny. Leaky Cauldron editorial director Melissa Anelli and MuggleNet founder Emerson Sparts, who I think I believe if you look this up now, if if you're like interested in weird website drama, I believe Melissa Anelli now works at Leaky Cauldron. Or excuse me, now works at MuggleNet. I think I think that 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 she jumps ship. We've got a real Snape on our hands. Oh, ooh, I like that. Quiz the author on numerous topics ranging from character death to magical ethics. Unfortunately, they also brought up shipping. 
Sparks gleefully referred to Harry Hermione fans as delusional. Rowling <laughs> chuckled. All hell broke loose. Sparks later apologized to Shippers for his remarks, but it was too late. Enraged Harry Hermione fans announced that they would never read a Potter, another Potter book. They slung invectives at Sparks and Anelli. Hate mail clogged the leaky cauldron of MuggleNet's inboxes. Rowling was denounced in colorful and unprincipled terms. That's us. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anelli, 25, who works as a journalist when she isn't overseeing the leaky cauldron, says the most abuse came from a small faction of Viziferous fans. They've lost the ability to divorce themselves between what J.K. Rowling is doing and what they'd like to see happen, and they've taken their disappointment and projected it onto her, she says. I can totally understand how you could be upset if your preference didn't happen, but I can't understand or tolerate the people who claim to be fans that can be so mean to her. Allison King, a 31-year-old Berkeley mother, web programmer, and Harry Hermione shipper, calls reactions from some fans over the top, but she also thinks Sparks' delusional comment lacks tact. <coughs> I think it was just carelessness and was not meant maliciously, but the way it was read, I definitely, I'm surprised they didn't realize it would be inflammatory. It was like Melissa and Emerson were our representatives and you don't want to hear your ambassadors be so partisan. You hope that they're speaking for everyone. This is like serious business. Serious this is politics. serious business. Yeah. Serious, serious JK, JK, uh, uh diplomacy, uh, business. I was su surprised said Sparts 18, of the fierce so this is where the salt comes from everyone was being mean that an 18 year old like declared a ship silly like <laughs> just, yes this 31 year old programmer being like excuse me young man you need to be you need to be uh proper in the presence of our lord and savior jk rowling right uh, but in, but in hindsight, I should have shouldn't have been. I forgot how emotionally invested these shippers get. I knew they weren't going to be happy, but I did not see it generating this much hate. He adds, "Romance in the books is the most prominent source of debate in the online fandom, where many of the fans border on on obsessive, but casual readers will never understand what the big deal is." So what is the big deal? Shippers would say that ex uh, expressing concern over fictional characters' love lives is no stranger than fixating on celebrity relationships. I would say it's less weird than celebrity relationships, honestly. Uh, definitely they're, less weird. They're, they're, they're real. Those they're are real, real people. people, right. Romance is a universal obsession. For many Harry Hermione fans, there's a personal investment. As the Potter series' brilliant bookworm, Hermione's a role model for smart girls and boys who find themselves overshadowed by their flashier peers. There's a certain appeal to thinking that a young academic could couple with the hero of the wizarding world, who also happens to be her best friend. Anelli figures that once the dust settles, most ruffled Harry Hermione shippers will return to the fold, and while the ship has sunk, been sunk by rolling, it will probably continue to flourish in fanfiction. In fact, regardless of what happens in the final book, Harry might surprise everyone by swimming off to share a love nest with Hogwarts giant squid. <laughs> a love nest? A I love don't like nest. that. A He's love nest with the squid. squid? He's gonna... Hmm, okay. Uh, it is equally probable that the series' many ships will keep on sailing. They love this metaphor. Uh, the fandom versions of the characters have become much larger than life, says King, known online by her nom de plume, Ali Granger. There's some, <laughs> almost more freedom for people whose ships don't turn out in the end of the book because they can write their own endings. In a way, it's more fun to be delusional, the delusional ones. I you, agree with that. You can, you can write non-canon endings for canon ships, though. I yeah. I really... This, this is where I am separated from fandom, I feel, because I can't imagine really caring what happens in canon. 
Right. And especially with the way J.K. Rowling writes romance. <laughs> we, yeah, we're going to be getting into that in this chapter this week. But J.K. Rowling is not uh, just not a, a compelling romance author by any means. I just think this is this is a hilarious article because you know it's it's like fourteen years old and it's so concerned with like explaining what shipping is and like providing a window into this world. This, this reminds me of when like Kotaku and Polygon get into like. Have you heard that there's Overwatch porn? Right? Like it's <laughs> it's it's the it's this weird like first time expose into a, a a thing that has existed like since the dawn of time, right? Like uh, Yeah, I, I assume there is a mirror mirror article to this for for Raylos, right? Like there must be a hundred oh, of there must absolutely. be a hundred of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, these these like okay, slow news week. What do we do? Can someone can someone please write about these Raylos? uh right like just just it, it, nothing in here is explicitly wrong it's just very funny and granted maybe this is just because we are in the, or at least around the harry potter fandom and you know know all of this stuff kind of inside and out but it's very funny seeing like a news organization write about this in these terms Right, yeah, I I really enjoy keeping up with with the the Raylo, um, their goings on, just because it's very novel to see those conversations happening around a a franchise that is ongoing. Right, like the mm-hmm. Harry Potter stuff is 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 long gone, but but remembering those conversations where it centers a lot about like what is going to be canon or like finding little things in the canon to to suggest what could happen in the future that's all right all very charming to me and also i can't relate at all <laughs> will here won't he be redeemed that just was and never he, how I, that's just never yeah. how i engaged with it because it's just like the canon it's like it doesn't matter almost i i yeah i, I mean for me with with storytelling i find i find like theory crafting stuff very interesting but i've never really been that invested in one being like correct right i I just think it's fun to look at and 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 piece together and if it is you know if someone does piece something together that's cool but that's also like not it's very rare that stories are written out that extensively from the beginning right Um, right and and to me i guess i sort of treat media especially media that like sort of feels like it it courts this sort of thing that you know this, this shipping stuff uh is that it's like it's like getting a, a lego set where like there there where there's like there's instructions you know like like there is a way that someone has pieced this together but really you're just being handed a toy box to make whatever you want uh and that's what i find more interesting about fan fiction stuff is like who who cares like if if i was if you if you're invested in what the real story is like just watch the real one again but like otherwise let people mash their action figures together who cares yeah i like i really like that way way of putting it yeah it's like it's it's, it's like being handed a cool toy box it's, it's it's so much more fun to just do what you want don't don't be invested in in yours being the right thing that just is so strange to me well that is our news from the past for this week let's get into our reading for sure i really enjoyed that um that fun time capsule yeah, these will be fun. I've got so many. Honestly, like I, I found such a range of these things. I've already found like four of these. I'm like, we're gonna have to get to this at one point. There's so many good ones. I especially want to piece together. Speaking of like like being handed stories, uh, this this thing we're piecing together about the MuggleNet Leaky Cauldron JK Rowling Summit. 
I'm just so interested in, in reading <laughs> the lore around. Like, what what is this thing going to be? I'm yeah, so excited there, to get to There this. are so many of those, like, f- extensive fan site interviews from this time period. They're, yeah. they're, really, they're really fascinating. Um, but for now, let's look let's at book. chapter 21. Uh, and it's called The Eye of the Snake. Um, take, take a, um, you know, sit back. Take a sip of some Borange beer because this is kind mm. of a long one. There are a lot right. of uh, kind I'm of sipping. different different parts. Sadly, I already finished my Borange beer because it's just so good. So I <laughs> I hope I make it through this. Um, it's a Sunday morning at Hogwarts. Harry and Ron are busy working on homework because it's really stacked up. We kind of uh, get back to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of homework this year. They're working really hard, but Hermione is kind of on top of her work. So she spends her afternoon um, at Hagrid's um, trying to convince him to change his lesson <laughs> plan for Umbridge. Um, while Harry and Ron are kind of holed up in the tower, there's also like a snowball fight happening. Um, and and they're just kind of bummed out that they're not, not down there having fun uh, on the weekend. Hermione returns and she's she's frustrated. Um, it, she didn't think that she got through to Hagrid at all. He's keeping something in the Forbidden Forest um, for the lessons, but won't say what it is. Uh, and also he won't say what his injuries are. And she's worried that it's related. Um, at breakfast the next day, um, uh, Harry kind of kind of thinks about uh, what Hermione has said and kind of is worried about Umbridge's inspection, uh, but also kind of recognizes that he's biased um, and that uh, most of the students were really enjoying Grubbly Plank's uh, good lessons, but that it's unfair what what is going to happen to Hagrid, essentially. Uh, we do get to the Care of Magical Creatures lesson, uh, and they are getting worried because they're going into the Forbidden Forest. They have class with the Slytherins, as usual, um, and Hagrid is her- carrying like a half-dead cow, Is des- it's described as. He leads them into the forest. Um, and, and puts the, the cow carcass on the ground and, and calls for these creatures and waits. And he says that he's the only person that's trained uh, what they'll be seeing today. Harry is extremely, extremely relieved because what arrives is the Thestrals. And he's like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't hallucinating these, these death horses. Um, he, Neville, and a Slytherin boy are the only ones in class that can see them. Hagrid gives kind of a brief explanation of what they are, um, the idea being that they are, hor- they are skeletal-looking horses that eat meat, and you can only see them if you have seen death. Umbridge arrives and, and starts uh, to take notes, um, and she uh, basically is suggesting that because Hagrid is half-giant, um, that he is uh, not not qualified and is like of of a uh, lower intelligence. She kind of hints at like or or says like she's breaking notes like oh has to resort to crude sign language. Um, doesn't like under understand very well. Um, he she also interviews some Slytherins. Uh, Pansy Parkinson is like laughing the whole time and says that she can never understand what Hagrid is saying because it sounds like he's grunting. Um, Umbridge ends up asking Neville um, if he's ever too intimidated to speak up. Neville says no, but she kind of spins that to be like, oh, he's too scared of Hagrid to talk in class. Um, Hermione is very, very upset, tears in her eyes, like very, very mad about this. Um, 
Uh, after class, Draco does taunt Ron about Quidditch again in just kind of a, a quick throwaway scene. Um, we move into December. Um, Ron and Hermione are pretty busy because they have to help with the Christmas decorations uh, because they're prefix. Um and uh, Hermione is going to go skiing over break. Harry has been invited to the burrow, and he's very happy about that. Um, it's the last DA meeting um, before the Christmas vacation, um, and Dobby has decorated the room of requirement um, for them with Christmas ornaments with Harry's face on them. <laughs> Uh, yes. yeah. uh-huh. uh, bef- before the the meeting harry kind of finds out with a br- like a brief discussion with some of the um quidditch players that his spot on the team since he's been banned has been taken by Ginny uh and some other characters that i'm pretty sure we only ever hear in the scene are going to be the beaters um everyone in the da has just improved a lot at magic um but harry and cho have an encounter after the lesson um and Cho essentially is just is saying to Harry, like, oh, if Cedric knew this stuff, would he not have died? Harry says, like, no, um, it's really awkward. Um, but they kiss under the mistletoe in like a fade to black. Uh, and we only find out about the kiss because in the next scene, Harry tells Ron and Hermione about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry kind of says, like, I, 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 yeah, I wanted to kiss her, but I didn't want it to be like that. So I didn't like it. She was sad. She wasn't happy. Um, Hermione explains Cho's feelings to Harry <laughs> and Ron, basically. Um, Harry seems to have kind of lost interest in Cho after, after what happened. Uh, Hermione's also writing a letter to Victor in this scene. Um, the last part is that Harry goes to bed. He starts having a dream. At first, it's like kind of a normal dream or, or what we're, we're supposed to know is, is just a dream of his, which is that he's meeting up with Cho in the room of requirement. Uh, but Cho is getting mad at him and is like, oh, you lured me here under false pretenses, demanding that he give her his firebolt or chocolate frog cards. But then it like morphs into a vision dream, which is where he is a snake that is Nagini is heavily implied and attacks Arthur Weasley. He wakes up, tells someone to get like to go and find Mr. Weasley. He's injured. He's been attacked. Um, McGonagall eventually does show up uh, and, and believes him that it was a vision and goes to get help. That's the chapter. (sighs) This is a weird one for me because I, I don't think, I think we're still in like the good zone in this book. Mostly. Um, these last few chapters have been really good, but this one felt like the weirdest kind of like series of missed opportunities where it's like, I don't hate the things that happened in this chapter, but I, because I like didn't remember this chapter at all. This, this we're, we're in a part of this book that I just do not have many recollection, uh, uh, recollections of at all. Um, all of the things that happened in this, in this chapter are things that I sort of like, remembered happening differently and cooler if that makes sense yeah that does make sense i i think that i'm kind of probably in the same boat because i think that there's some really shaky iffy weird yeah. stuff here but mm. weirdly taken as a whole i'm pretty much thumbs up for it like i enjoy like as far as my enjoyment experience of reading it i was like yeah i liked it i thought the drama was pretty good i i liked 
um, the various conversations that were happening. For the most part, I liked mm-hmm. what the characters had to do, even yeah. though I think in some places it's a little bit messy. But like I got to the end and I was like, I liked that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like it's a it's a bumpy road through a bunch of stuff that I remember differently, but I still like the takeaways, if that makes sense. Yeah. The major one for me being I thought the Thestrals were going to be a way more constant metaphor in this book. Uh, but here they are and they're just explained. They're just explained. And as far as I know... They're just going to be, I mean, this is like a very deliberate clue that's put in here. Specifically, Hagrid says like Dumbledore, Dumbledore likes to ride on them when he doesn't want to take a broom. So that is, that is up there. That is up there with the, uh, the Phoenix can carry quite heavy loads thing to me of just like, (laughs) you only put this here because I'm just imagining like Dumbledore just like. You know that you know that commercial that everyone was getting on YouTube for a while. The hey, I'm here in my house in the Hollywood Hills, uh, in my garage. Uh, here's my Lamborghini. Here's my Firebolt. Uh, here's my Phoenix. It can carry heavy loads. It's it is such a bizarre detail. Um, it also seems completely impractical. I want to know where he is going. That it is it is normal and good for him to have an invisible death horse. Just that eats horse. that eats meat like mm-hmm. like where is he what business is he conducting it's like oh, i need i need to go to the ministry for my supreme court duties this weekend but i don't really want to fly my broom <laughs> i'm fl- flying from from scotland to london i guess i don't know how long that would be on a flight but i guess i'll take my my invisible death horse um did, did, are there yeah, stables he... Do, is there is there like a stable master at the at the ministry there where they can put up your death horse and feed it raw meat <laughs> Can't he apparate? I thought, yeah, yeah. Where is where is he flying the death horse to? I I, (laughs) maybe maybe riding the death horse to London in Philosopher's Stone. Uh, yes, hundred percent. Flew back on. Oh, yep, that's canon. They're probably down. They're doing the potion riddle right now. Fuck. I maybe, gotta get back. Yeah, it took a really long time. Maybe the Death Horse is more of like a scenic, like uh, I'm yeah. going, I'm going to London, but I'd like to take the scenic route and kind of enjoy myself a little bit. I'm gonna scare the shit out of some people flying my lizard horse with bat wings. It's very cool. I I just had this image in my head because like the 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 concept of the Thestral is so striking to me, and like their first appearance in this book when when only Harry and Luna can see them is very cool and and i i i always sort of remembered them as sort of this parallel to the grim right like like he was obsessed with the grim he thought that there was this like ill omen following him around in book three and it turned out it was his like you know godfather in disguise with dog brain right and i I had always sort of pictured like built up this like memory of the thestrals in my mind as like the like the return of this ill omen but this time it's not an omen of things to come it's like like a manifestation of his trauma now right it's like he saw he saw cedric die right in front of him and feels guilty and it's like this cool physical manifestation of guilt or you know, and loss or whatever but the fact that luna can see them too means that you know it's this is something that you know every everyone sees the death horse eventually you you, you know no one goes through life without seeing the festrals but no, it's just uh, it's just a scene where Hagrid uh, uh, gives them a, a cow and they walk out of the forest and, and eat them like dopes. 
Right. It's like the Thestral becomes like a key item, right? Like it's like he he dro- he <laughs> yeah. dro- he drops like the hit like you could ride them somewhere uh if you need to go somewhere in the future. Uh, yeah. that could be cool. Yeah, he's announcing a fast travel system to Harry. He got far he got far enough in the game that he's at he's unlocked the fast travel. You know, the Thestral still is those things, right? Like it still is a symbol of of when you know, once once you have processed and, and seen and experienced loss things are never the same and like it's still a symbol for that it's just like given to us in this very strange matter of fact way that feels like a missed opportunity to do some cooler stuff i guess but yeah i i I, again we're rewriters here and i really i really would have loved um luna to have told harry what the thestrals were but because she also you know is nargles and all this other stuff that he wouldn't know whether like he would want to to believe that right and mm-hmm. and maybe he would would wind himself up about it so much that he could go and talk to Hagrid about it and it could be this like moment of bonding for the two of those characters yeah. and also a moment of relief for Harry uh, that is also like acceptance yeah. for the death that he's seen so yeah. it's weird and and like that's just like and off off the top of my head way to go about that but it's like why did we get it in this like cl- like very clinical classroom scene where it's just like yeah. here 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 is your like lore update well and it feels so obvious too because i mean like like this this not even just this book this chapter like a core theme is people having a hard time sticking things out alone right mm-hmm. like like that is a, a constant theme in this book. That is the entirety of like Cho Chang's breakdown in this chapter as well. It's it, and and the 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 idea that the Thestrals are like this shared thing that everyone who has experienced you know has, who has seen death, uh, you know, shares a, a, a you know like a common you know they share this common thread. They they can all see the horses. They've all they 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 they've all experienced this thing together it's this like unspoken bond between like neville and harry and this un- unnamed slytherin kid right uh, <laughs> and that's that's a really powerful image i think um and it's fun to think about how it could have been or could be utilized but it's it's odd that it is it is so it reminds me so much of that like do you remember the 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 cool gas in the maze in Goblet of Fire that was like this really, really like simple, obvious and like kind of powerful metaphor where it's like, oh, his life literally gets turned your, upside down. Your world's upside down, but you just got to k- keep walking forward. Yeah. And like, and like, yeah, and there you go. And it's like very, very obvious, <laughs> very, but very cool. And like, like it makes sense for a children's book and like, like just got stuck in a maze as an obstacle in a ma- in a maze uh, i guess like we she jk rowling does this a lot it feels like like comes up with a really fucking cool central idea for a like parable or something and then doesn't really utilize it in a very interesting way i think mirror of erised is maybe the only time it's worked i love the mirror of erised chapter it's so good that's such a good chapter still probably my favorite single chapter in this whole series yeah, I, I think that you were saying to me, like, I would have loved a chapter like that that kind of stands on its own and is about is about the Thestrals. I think the one case that we might 
see that kind of come through for us is I think that there's a conversation that Harry has with Luna at the end of the book mm-hmm. that might be a nice payoff for this like emotional side of the story where the Thestrals aren't just a car, but I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> They're just a cool car. It's They're just a, a cool super purse. cool car. They have they have flames on the side, um, which is very, very cool. Um, I have what is very close, I'm I'm scared to say, of a sincere Harry Potter theory that I'd like to talk to you about. Yeah, oh, please. I, I, I really love like, nothing more than I, I really want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but it's also very stupid. Like it's my like my least favorite kind of theory. But I no, just don't, I just don't beat need up. I let's, just need to say it. it. Okay. Okay. I want to um, hear your theory. Animals in Harry Potter don't have souls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's hear. Let's let's break it down. Why don't you think they have souls? I mean, I I I, I think I know the real answer to this. But let's, let's hear it. So my framework is very simple here, and it's that um, I understand. All, all that crap about themes and symbols and accepting death and, and all of that, like, very nice answer. That's, like, the answer yeah. where it's, like, Quidditch, it symbolizes life, right? But at the same time, <laughs> within the mechanics of the story, Quidditch is also a game that people play competitively. Um, yeah. I am a, This is, again, my assumption and, like, part of my theory that, like, seeing death and, like, activating whatever magical thing lets you see the Thestrals is seeing someone's soul leave right because souls are like a a thing a canonical they are a thing uh, in this series yeah um i think that way more kids would have seen an animal die in that class Oh, uh-huh. I yeah, think they way, have, like, pets that died it's just in general, somebody went on a hunting trip, like Draco Malfoy's dad probably go like takes Draco like fox hunting or something. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and the fact that like everyone it like went down a list and is like each person has seen a human die, and I feel like the magical mechanic of that is probably because of the human soul. Um sure. JK Rowling hates animals. Okay, yes. Yeah, this is where I was going. When I said when I said I think I know this is building to I, I I think that is your key piece of evidence. There is that J.K. Rowling just really doesn't seem to like animals that much. Really doesn't like animals, and I feel I, I my theory here is that that animals in in Harry Potter do not have souls. That's so. I had never thought about that because. You're right. Like all these kids probably had like a goldfish at least, right? Which... Yeah, I don't know. Like the Weasleys have chickens. We know that for sure. Has Ron never seen a chicken slaughtered? <laughs> Has has Ron ever thrown one of those gnomes a little too hard? Like like he, he yeeted a gnome against the burrow and it broke its neck. And he's like, oh no, right? Oh no, I, yeah. I, my my I have two pieces of counter evidence to my theory because I like okay. to be very scientific. Um, one, Dementors is dis- are described specifically as soulless, but my yeah. counter counter to that is that it is specifying that they are not beings, right? Because Dementors aren't really mm. animals. Sure. Um, my other one is the toad. <laughs> uh, let me introduce the toad. Is the, is the ghost? Is a ghost the the like metaphysical representation of the soul? Yes, I, th- I I think so. Right? I would I would I, guess yeah. that would be the case. Right? Like I think that n- that nearly headless Nick, like that's his soul. Right? Like he's not a soulless being. Right. Right. Yeah, no, n- Nearly Headless Nick has has the Harry Potter version of a soul. Uh, and we, But we are talking about, if you are not familiar with our bonus content, we have just welcomed the Toad 
into the common room as our house ghost for Hurtwood. Right. Uh, replacing Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, and, um, and I don't know if you can really count the Toad as canonical, and maybe, in fact, J.K. Roll, this is this is my Carlin Brothers like I- imitation right now. In fact, perhaps the Toad was cut out of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone because J.K. <laughs> Rowling decided the animals would canonically not have souls and thus could not be a ghost. Hey, brother, we're talking <laughs> about souls today. Yeah, so so she did cut out a, a toad ghost out of Philosopher's Stone. Um, so that's so that's like, my kind of my kind of sincere theory corner there. I, you know, I I like it. I think it's this is this is one of those things that I I like because it is a uh, it is a theory that doesn't really change anything about the story <laughs> or the like. You, you, you know, you're not you, you haven't like uncovered like a secret uh, uh, idea about like character motives or anything, right? You're just sort of like piecing together uh, the world building that J.K. Rowling didn't do on purpose, which I think is great. Like <laughs> well, that's cool. Is is kind of uh, doing retroactive excavation of being like, maybe this is how the world works in this universe. Right. She didn't do it. So I'm, I'm for it. I'm pro Liz's uh, souls animals theory, which also, you know, uh, JK Rowling, her most horrid crime in this entire series mm-hmm. is killing Hedwig. Right. Um, but if we are looking at it from the perspective of a writer who does not believe animals have any sort of soul and has in fact constructed a universe specifically where they don't, maybe that maybe it makes it a little less bad from that perspective. Cause she's just like, Oh, this, this robot just fell out of a car, I guess. And that's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's no problem. <laughs> yeah. She's, she, it, it is not as devastating as it, as it, uh, as it appears to be because uh, Hedwig is just a soulless automaton. So yeah, it, I'm, I choose to believe this now. Yeah. It does get very confusing because, um, uh, and this uh, like I I did I had I did do the bare minimum of research for all of this and and like part mm-hmm. of it is that um if you so Voldemort stored his soul in some living beings right and so yeah. as part of the reason that Quirrell died or was because like he couldn't have Voldemort's soul in him for very long like you can't you can't smash two souls together and the, right. and the reason that Harry like that i think jk rowling said this in an interview like harry can exist with a horcrux in him because the the piece of voldemort's soul was so messed up that it was like scared of harry's like love and his soul or whatever his good his good soul but the other one is nagini obviously has a piece of voldemort's soul but she doesn't suffer any ill effects Hmm. Which I would say bef- before before does does that does so but does becoming a maledictus mean that you have lost your human soul so and you now have I, no I'm, soul? So I'm looking at Is this that- from two because I don't think that I do not think that J.K. Rowling thought that Nagini was a human woman when she wrote these books. So I am Absolutely I am not. I am adding this to my my the snake doesn't have a soul and is therefore was never a maledictus in the first place theory 
Wait, but what about the the snake that's in the uh the, the zoo? Oh, they're they're like be they're beings. They're so, they're, oh, I, they're they're beings. I don't they have. I don't know why they're so smart. I don't know why snake snakes are so smart in this universe. <laughs> they just don't have souls. They're well, that that that's you know that's that's possible. You can. I, it works. I, it tracks. I'm I'm pro your theory. I Thank like you. this. Thank you. So ends this sincere theory corner. It pained me greatly. Sincere theory corner. Yeah, I um I I like the festral stuff, but I think really it feels like a, a like sort of unceremonious like reveal for them that is sort of shoved to the side for the sake of the Umbridge and Hagrid plot. Which I actually did enjoy in like a horrified sort of way, but it it all it, it's it, it's that's like the focus here, right? Is Umbridge's uh, appraisal of Hagrid's class? This was easily the like, wow, she's evil moment for me. Like, completely. like just completely delete the weird torture detention scene from my brain because it just doesn't yeah. work in the story for me. Um, but her uh, inquisition of Hagrid is the most like she's evil and i loved hermione's reaction to it mm-hmm. um i think it did a service to her character which i think is so messy and has a hard time finding its place i guess yeah but this kind of firmed up at least a reading of it where i think that her common thread is that she does have a sense of right and wrong, which is curiously <laughs> absent from Harry and Ron. Um, uh, but especially I, Ron, who seems completely nonplussed by this by this event. Yeah, but I'm kind of I'm kind of you know I, I'm not gonna try to do like apologetics for the like the horrible horrible house elf plots, but like I can sort of accept a Hermione whose who's main kind of character drive is knowing right and wrong and will act on it. Yes. Yeah, totally. And like, I feel like the, the behavior of Umbridge here is so like, like we've talked about how Umbridge has been at her best in this book as more of like a cartoon, silly villain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like the torture chapter is just completely bug out insane, but like her, her, her subsequent like visits to the classrooms have been really kind of fun and like over the top. And we like the decrees and stuff. Like she's been a, a, a goofy, like vampy villain up until this point. If you ignore the fact that the reveal happens much earlier with the actual torture. Um, <laughs> But this is like such a a gut punch of a um, like it's not even really a reveal. It's just like her like her showing her true colors, right? Like like applying that villainy to a uh, uncomfortably real situation. Uh, like this is really like recognizable shitty person behavior. I've been around people who who talk to other people like this, right? Like this is such a a realistic portrayal of someone who is. 
uh, talking down to someone because of their status, their race, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's 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 like a it, it is uncomfortably realistic in this in the way that like the torture stuff is, but like it is so much better here than there. Yeah, the torture stuff hit me as so absurd. Like I just I had a really hard time. Like I I don't think as a scene on its own, it's necessary. Like, can't have impact but it, it came at such mm-hmm. a bizarre place in the story that it just didn't really do anything for me whereas this was very uncomfortable to read um and i felt for hagrid it it gave it like i was angry reading it in a good way right mm-hmm. like in that yeah, like yeah. oh i'm i'm there and i can feel it and it's like um and the kind of like description of Hermione having tears in her eyes. She's so angry. I'm like that, like, you know, that's how I feel being around someone who's doing this. <laughs> right. And, and so that, that worked really well uh, for me. I, I did like the scene a lot. And, and I was just like so angry with the Slytherins cause they're just horrible and, and laughing and it's awful. Um, so I did for the most part, like it, my one, uh, Little thing is that I do kind of wonder if it is a little bit of a Rorschach test, a l- like a <laughs> well, little bit. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it is, and I also think that the um, the other thing that is frustrating about it, and this isn't necessarily like this specific scene's fault, but this like speaks to the like House of Cards that is Harry Potter's as a franchise is like sense of injustice, right? Uh huh. The way that Umbridge is treating Hagrid is the way that uptight white British people would treat like Indian people or Pakistani people or you know what have you, right? Like this is this is so this especially the with the way that she is making fun of the way he talks. Right. And, and going like, well, no one can understand him. Like one of the stupidest fucking controversies that pops up, like once once a month once a week in england is like some tabloid will run a like honor student fails because she can't understand professor's accent right like this is a common fucking thing right you know right wing tabloid bullshit and like it's clear that this is using that 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 imagery to make a point about real world injustice but it can't escape the fact that Harry Potter, the book series, also seems to exist in a world where real world injustice doesn't exist or factor into anyone's life experience, right? It's like these two things are colliding here. Right. Yeah. It. it I mean, this is like maybe the fifth or sixth time um in this book where it's like, it thinks it can gesture at this like really loaded imagery because it's, it's real life, right? Like we, (laughs) we've read those tabloids, but then it just kind of puts it in there and leaves it hanging right for, for you to, to, to Rorschach test it. Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, 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 and it's, it's super weird because as we know, Hogwarts is a school with like muggle-born and half wizard children, right? Like people, it, it, like especially in Hermione's case as a muggle-born, it's super weird that real-world injustices never are never even brought up as like comparison points, right? Like 
Hermione never says like, oh, this is just like such and such bullshit thing I'm aware of as someone who spends her entire summers, you know, in in the muggle world. Yeah, except when it does and she says this is slavery and then the book is like, well, is it? (laughs) That's up up to you to decide. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's, so it's it's it is it is a weird case of having it both ways where the where the book has like carefully sanded off the edges of of like you know we're not we're we're not talking about any world any real world uncomfortable uh uh you know political injustice things or are we and it's it just doesn't work really for me yeah you gotta go you gotta go all in yeah i don't i don't necessarily need it to like like deliberately reference back to stuff but i wish it would take a little bit stronger of like of like what it's trying to say like i i really i really like that hermione is so angry um but that kind of is undermined by her activism or like sense of justice constantly being undermined by like it, it just like being like well it's shades of the house elf thing it's shades of gray and then it's like this kind of does that too so it's like it gestures at this really uncomfortable horrible um real world evil stuff evil right. stuff and then it's like the book i mean no the, no character voices it but at the same time it's like in the same chapter harry's like well hagrid is a bad teacher <laughs> right yeah yeah and, and it's just you can't it is such a lopsided metaphor to like you know take the way umbridge is talking about umbridge and the Slytherins are like talking about how hard it is to understand haggard's accent and i'm just like jk rowling has phonetically written out his fucking accent it's like a kind of strong northern english accent i it's not it's not a big deal it's not it's not difficult right like it's it's like we we know what this this story is really about and it's not Hagrid and it's frustrating that Hagrid is the one who has to be the stand in for it I guess. Yeah, this is this is a whole a whole fraught segment and I and I do like I do want to make it clear it does frame what Umbridge is doing as a bad thing and it's like yes, completely. And it's like in that way the scene, the scene does work for me. It's just like there there's just some other stuff that that just like kind of feels icky and i don't think that i would be as hard of it on it if it wasn't for the house elf stuff right Uh, yes because like when it when it goes back and and shades of gray everything that hermione does or hermione's sense of right and wrong and then we have ron being very ambivalent about the whole thing and and that being kind of featured as like that is also a valid it's just it's just a weird yeah I, I don't know why ron has become the most like this book seems to be making a concerted effort to make him the most unlikable person <laughs> he he only says like one thing during this haggard uh uh scene and it's like kind of non-committal he's just sort of like oh he is kind of hard to understand like 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 he just sort of like like kind of i don't know if that's specifically what he's reacting to but he he reacts to something that's like clearly an evil thing that umbridge has said and he's just like i don't know like maybe like and and i guess like that's the opportunity for for hermione to have a character right like it's it's her her opportunity to respond and to tell us something about her as a character but it is a bummer that he only fulfills that role like he he is he is kind of put into the back burner to say stuff for other characters to react to right yeah 
and as we'll find out uh, later in this chapter, Hermione mostly exists to explain other characters' feelings to to him and Harry. So kind of a awkward spot for the the trio at this at this point. So yeah, I I think I think it, it, like I'm I'm rubbing my temples here, just like trying to decide like what my actual opinion on this scene is. Uh, because I do think like the the characterization of Umbridge is spot on, um, definitely and very effective. Yes, but the scene that it is in is just like you say, kind of fraught with like like it is carrying the baggage of like the the poor uh, 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 treatment this story has already given. You know, uh, allusions to real world injustices uh, and sort of like mismatched uh stand in like it's just it's just it's messy for sure like i i i i i admire it for trying i suppose but it's like still sort of like eh, take another pass at this one maybe yeah it's a, it's a lot i i would say like of the handling of this sort of thing i think this is maybe one of the strongest scenes uh, for uh, sure. on its own it's the strongest this the series has been by far it doesn't but like that that doesn't free it from the baggage right like like it's it's it doesn't transcend harry potter right um draco has a very silly zinger uh at the end of this he scene he's like god what does he say he's like if if the if the quaffle dies maybe you can catch it i i don't it's 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 such a yeah it's it's uh, ron ron is saying like oh i can't see the festrals and, and <laughs> it, it, it was a real a real uh, uh whiff from from draco let me see if i can find I'm, it here i'm pretty, pretty sure funny. all of his insults are best responded with just like can you run that past me one more time yeah, can you, can you, do you want to take do you another run like, try again try again yeah uh let's see what, what was his what was his uh comment here uh i'm surprised so many people could see them said ron three in a class yeah weasley we were just wondering said a malicious voice nearby <laughs> unheard by any of them in the muffling snow malfoy crab and goyle were walking along right behind them do you reckon if you saw someone snuff it you'd be able to see the quaffle better like what? Do you want to hang on? Do you want to take a run at that one again? No, what? I'm actually so here for these terrible insults from him. He like every single one this book has just been like, <laughs> it's kind of a head scratcher. Well, yeah, it's like what's up? What's up, dude? Like, like you do want to try try that again? God, did you ever listen to N.E.R.D. the band Pharrell's band? No. Okay. I don't even there's know what a, you're saying. There's a band. There's a band called Nerd. N E R D. And they had this song where Pharrell says, uh, "We straight up swallow guys." Nice. Just doesn't really work. Just, I'm just, I'm just imagining Malfoy just being like, "We're we're gonna straight up swallow the the Gryffindor team." Yeah. Um. Yeah. Draco definitely has that that energy for sure. And I'm and I kind of lo- I kind of <laughs> love it. He's kind of a he's it, kind of a dummy. Good. It's good. Uh, move. Oh, actually, there's one more thing in the, in the in this this part that I thought was quite odd, which was when uh, Hermione says that like, oh, I wish I could see the horses, and and Harry like 
sneaks in a, a burn I on her. I hated like, that. Do you? He's such an asshole. I hate it. Like, like, I, it's like, again, like, not from a criticism perspective, but I was just like, shut the fuck up. I hate that scene so much. Like, personally, oh, yeah, it makes my skin crawl. I'm like, can you? <laughs> you know a- that's not what she meant, Harry. Like, what? Yeah. Harry is being a Harry is being a royal fucker in this chapter. Um as we will find out in uh this next part the uh DA scene. Okay, before we really get into it. Mm-hmm. Um I know that I know that like part of it is that the defense against the dark arts teachers have been bad, right? So far we've had Quirrell, which as far as we know is like a pretty good teacher. That just yeah. had like Voldemort on his head. Um, mm-hmm. Lockhart was obviously bad. Um, Lupin yeah. was good. Our favorite, but bad. Lupin was good. Yeah, Lupin. Yeah. Um, Moody was good. Right, like he was a good teacher. I thought. Um, right, like, kind of- or like the book. The book. The book certainly presents him as like it's a. He was a good teacher. Too bad he was a bad guy. Right. Um. Why? Is why is it that Harry is a maybe the greatest teacher ever, ever? Mm-hmm. Like he's just like I'm so good In at history. teaching. Uh, it is my gift. It is my calling. It's my My Little Pony cutie mark. Um, <coughs> or are the Hogwarts teachers just like insanely bad? Why are they so? Why is this like the best? Like oh oh my god! Like all these kids are so good at magic now, and they were just terrible before. I get that that they're supposed to be like, at least for Neville, like some of them are like outcasts or whatever, but it really doesn't have that outcast vibe. Like they just seem like normal students and they're like, wow, I could never cast any spells until now. Thanks, Harry. It's just (laughs) it's just a little bit much, I feel. I I think it's only noticeable because we never actually get a good sense of like what Harry's teaching style is. There's no we have, we've not gotten like a scene where Harry like sits down to write a lesson plan or whatever and it's like okay, I'm thinking back to Professor Lupin who was so good to me. He forged a personal connection with me, but not only just me, with Neville and all the other students and he was very encouraging uh and he and he you know let us have hands-on experience so we had a good time but we were really learning like there's no point where he's like breaking down like what is a good teacher to him right because if we got that kind of thing i could let it slide but we don't have that all we have is like he kind of like walks up and down the aisles of people practicing is like nodding at them going like good job like you did yeah it. and every person he passes is like wow i've i've never been able to cast even one spell until now thanks harry <laughs> it's it has like infomercial vibes like like do you want are you tired of not shooting guns off in your defense against the dark arts class are you too stupid to cast majority <laughs> leviosa well come on down to the room of requirement professor potter will set you right with his patented uh uh, uh walk around the classroom and nod at you system you'll learn how to shoot pillows out of each other's hands uh and and kiss under the mistletoe it'll be great come on down you get a fake coin i just feel like it could have been a little bit more balanced between like the the people just learning new stuff that they aren't learning elsewhere and not so squarely put on harry and my belief in him being a really good teacher for some reason for a bunch of spells i've never seen him cast before (laughs) (laughs) well especially because the all of the other, uh, we, you know, we got the introductory DA scene where he taught them the disarming spell. Right. 
then we were told that he was going through other stuff but we don't get like scenes of that and then this other this return to the room of requirement as a as a scene uh, with a lesson we're just back to expelliarmus again like so we, we've only seen him teach that spell like we don't we we literally do not get to see him teach anything else it's very weird i i think that i would be really down for if he instead of like actually mechanically teaching people the spells he was just coming up with what spells they should learn because that's what we're supposed to think <laughs> about him is that like oh he has all this experience right like he he right. knows what you need out on the field right right but why He's, would he what's harry's everyday carry right but i'm not that sold on like him being able to teach that stuff, I am I'm at least partially sold on him knowing what they need to know. And then I would pr- have preferred it if he was like organizing a study group where they figure that stuff out together instead of like, <sighs> instead of, Imagine. instead of like this weird, like marching up and down the aisles, be like good impedimenta, uh, Cho Chang. Imagine, imagine if Hermione got to have a character and like he wrote the lesson plan and she taught it. Or something right because she's hermione and she knows her her shit right imagine if all of the trio could get involved and they could do something together and like like ron is like their volunteer to like do spells on or whatever because because they kind of like because he beating them he, up he, yeah he doesn't a have prick. a character so that's fine but yeah. here we are uh i would have liked that a lot better and i just really don't buy him just being this weird god teacher i also it mentions it in this chapter, like maybe after break we'll l- learn the Patronus charm, and I still just really, really, really hate that. I I <laughs> hate. I can't I wait. Hate, I can't I wait. I hate that Harry is like so good that he's going to teach all these kids how to do this charm that we know like adults can't cast. I don't get it. It's so good, and it's it it is it is extra funny coming off of, for like there's there's a part that we skipped over entirely on the last on the last segment here of ha- uh, Hagrid teaching the the festrals where it is insanely funny that he is just like he's just like hey kids like who's who's ready to relive some past traumas like like just like uh you know foisting the festrals on them without warning it's oh it makes me so mad also yeah it's <laughs> yes very... please continue your thought yes the patronus but the patronus thing fits into the same thing for me where it's like it, it, he might as well have just announced like hey everyone we're uh, our next lesson is we're all going to therapy together like <laughs> like we're gonna have a big old joint da therapy session and and we're gonna we're gonna you know unpack our our traumas and we're gonna learn what our what our patronuses are and it's gonna be a good old time like just a really weird thing to right like like damn i hope harry is as good a a group therapy organizer as he is a teacher well, like, like lupin and harry's connection over the the patronus thing was so like like it, it was really intimate like like Lupin knew his dad and they, you know, they had this like connection, you know, that it was almost like a shared pain that they were processing when he was teaching the Patronus charm. Mm -hmm. What's this going to be? Right. And like that, I just feel like it just annihilates that entire storyline, which is like, I don't mind that Harry was able to do this incredible feat of magic that a lot of adults can't do because it was good for the story, right? It yeah. was payoff for 
for this like really good character work. So I don't really care how like realistic that is or how like, um, like how it kind of, I mean, it's like the gifted chosen character being able to do that thing because I felt like it was well established and, and paid off for the characters involved in a satisfying way why would why would we ruin it like this by Harry just teaching it to just a bunch of randos? <laughs> this is this is one hundred percent the like Star Wars prequel thing where it was like, oh, you thought lightsabers were cool? What if there was a big fight in the Coliseum where like a hundred guys had lightsabers? Right? Like just I yeah. I mean his his Patronus is his dead dad, <laughs> and it's like mine's an otter. Yeah, mine's are like what? <laughs> I can't wait. I, I especially can't wait because. Uh, this this scene that's coming right after he says this proves that he is definitely not equipped for uh, for group Anything? therapy, let, on, let alone one on one <laughs> conversations. Right, I believe that Cho Chang's Patronus is going to be a swan. Ah, ah. So the kiss. I'm okay with the scene. This this is this is like such a crystal example of like. Uh, I love this scene and I hate what the story does with it. This is such a car crash of a interaction between two characters and I kind of love it. Yeah, it really is. Like, I guess let's, um, I would just like to briefly kind of outline at least like the character drama that's occurring here because essentially it's like, yeah. um, this moment where Harry is, I mean, my read of it, I guess, is that, Harry has spent a book of looking at Cho Chang across the room and presumably kind of has this like picture in his mind of like a nice, um, not relationship, but like he ha he has a kind of idealized idea of what, it what it could be like to be closer to her. Um, right. she, her boyfriend was just murdered like a few months ago um and hermione literally outlines her entire character motivation after the <laughs> scene is is ended but from Har from harry's perspective he's like getting what he wants and realizing that he doesn't want it anymore right because it's not because it's right. not what he thought i think that like bare bones like like take all of the um everything outside of the scene out of it and like i think this is an excellent excellent scene like that is a character drama um that i think is like well realized here i think the imagery is really strong i think the fade to black yes. is a little weird uh but kind of but kind of works <laughs> yes. for me um especially and it's like he i think it works for me in a way where it's like harry had a picture of what he wanted um he didn't get it and what what ended up happening was not what he imagined, but we don't even get to see it, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so so like yeah. character drama perspective, um, he it's like really very good, and Harry sucks here, big time. You, right, right, because because you know you, you mentioned that this is him. He's he's kind of had this idealized vision of this relationship blossoming in his head. Um, and then it's sort of happening, but not only is he like realizing it's not what he wants, the reason he realizes it's not what he wants is because it isn't, it isn't that idealized relationship. Like he is having to see 
Cho as a as a person with her own baggage very similar to his and is like, oh, right. I'm going to have to work for this. Right. Or like 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 I either I mean, like, like, who knows? Because we, we don't get like a, a, a complete picture into like what he's thinking in this scene. But it, like it very much reads to me as like a either he is not interested in having to put any work into this and like working through their shared trauma or uh he sees himself in this and is like oh you know like this is me like i'm like i'm i'm equally as fucked up as her right now and no thanks right like like there's there's no there's no, there's no non-selfish read of this, but like, there's a lot of possibilities of like, you know, what what it is he's he's working through here. Yeah, I think that I, I can't remember exactly what like what character outlines it exactly, but it was like he thinks to himself maybe something along the lines of um like or, or maybe Hermione says it like she, like Cho wants to reach out and and like cope with the feelings she's having and harry wants to avoid them yes yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure if hermione says it's hermione hermione is very good at explaining what everyone else's feelings are to harry but i don't know if she's ever had like a good read on harry so i can't remember who it is who says that is that Ginny? maybe i don't think Ginny's have had any speaking lines insights (laughs) Um, <laughs> someone someone I, I know what you're 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 gesturing towards but yeah it's i mean like like to be clear i think it is a really good piece of character work right like i'm not criticizing it as a piece it's just harry just sucks so much here like just just a selfish fuckhole here honestly just 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 being the absolute worst in this situation i would not have a problem with harry if he um like his takeaway from it is bad. I don't think that there would be anything wrong if he was like, "Oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I'm oh, going no, to walk away." Not. Um, yeah. But he has almost negative insight on what's going on. Well, she she like she like asks him like that very not not like completely direct, but like fairly direct like asks him a question like about like it's the thing about cedric like you know if he had known this stuff like like he could have survived and harry's like no which i that part isn't the weird part it's the part where like directly after that harry is more or less just like so are we fucking or what like he's just like tries to like move it on to like it's like away from that as fast as possible Right. his reaction to her being a human being with her own feelings is like can you not (laughs) yeah can you yeah like are so are we are we kissing or what like are we are we gonna make out or not let's go if not sorry see ya just like real real uh callous shit from harry here um and it is like like it is a really well realized character from that point of right. view just so infuriating it is infuriating um i also like feel like that transitioning right into this like fade to black where he is just kind of a black hole of like nothing like it's not even like he is having a flawed interpretation of what's happening it's like he's like i don't know what happened and then hermione tells him what happened it's very weird (sighs) 
Hermi- the Hermione scene that happens after this, where he's like telling them what happened, is honestly almost ruins the entire thing for me. It is so like Hermione gets like half a page to like psychoanalyze. It's a Cho. full unbroken paragraph. Well, obviously she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she's feeling confused because she likes Cedric and now she likes Harry and she can't work out who she likes best. Then she'll be feeling guilty thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory to be kissing Harry at all. And she'll be worried about what everyone else might say about her. If she starts going out with Harry and she probably can't work out what her feelings toward Harry are anyway, because he was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died. So that's all very mixed up and painful. Oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's been flying so badly. (laughs) These, these are literally like, like these are my character notes. Like, like, like these are the things I write when I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm making a character and I need all of their like motivations down in like a quick note card thing for me to reference back to. This is just that, but like in the story. Right. So, so we get this like long, unbroken paragraph of character notes and then it's played off as a joke. Like, it's like, it's like she says that and then it says a slightly stunned silence greeted the end of the speech literally described as a speech in the text then ron then ron said one person can't feel all that at once they'd explode like cue laugh track what is that (laughs) that's also such as just like just like once again ron ron just being i mean like granted hermione you know responds in much the same way she's like just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon blah 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 but like what a Ron is just so dumb. Ron was ready to die for his friends at the age of 11. Now he, now he doesn't now know what feelings like, are, I guess. Now he doesn't know what feelings are. Right. Like, uh, I think the one part of this, like, that I do really like is the very dumb joke uh, where, like, Ron asks him, you know, hey, hey, man, how how was it? And, and Harry's just, like, wet. Like, that's just a really funny line. It is funny. And I think it's also effective in that, like, it it's sign it's a it's a signal that shows us that when they kissed harry lost interest in her right like i don't and th- yes. and that is a case where that line works well and i don't need an entire paragraph telling me what harry is feeling right like right that that's enough so i don't know why I, like the, the the hermione speech is is very weird um yeah it, it it almost if it had been because the, the thing that's fairly interesting about this scene is that like hermione kind of reveals that she she has been like observing this like harry and show thing happening mm-hmm. and like has thoughts about it and uh i almost feel like the scene would have been better just cut that speech completely and just leave all of the awkward reactions in because like we we know that she's like not approving of this right like or of Harry's behavior, uh, and like Harry's very like matter of fact like one word responses like wet speak volumes like I I almost just wish that this would have been left at this like very painfully awkward scene of of Harry not really talking about this thing happening with his friends yeah there, there's this part um after hermione gives her her speech um where she kind of is like well what are you going to do now and and this is probably like i don't know it's like effective in a way to me that is 
like deeply sad because uh, like my read on the situation is that like Harry found out that Cho is a person with feelings and doesn't like her anymore. <laughs> and Hermione in all of her insight, in all of her like questions, she already like has been knowing that this has been going on for so long. Um, she's friends with Harry it's like she doesn't even consider that that's a possibility that Harry might be so shitty, right? Like that is so de- that is such a <laughs> right. deeply sad moment to me, where where he's saying like I I I don't know what to do, and she's like, well, ask her. Like you've liked her for ages, why would you not ask her out? And it's like it doesn't even cross her mind that he is such a fucking scumbag, right? Like it, it's so, right, it's right. so fucked up. And then it immediately um, goes into this other scene where we divert our attention to the letter she's writing. And Ron just goes like full on incel and accuses Victor Crumb of being a Chad. And that's why Hermione's into him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. The, the, <laughs> the Virgin Ron versus the Chad. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is like, that is 100 percent what's happening harry and ron have a conversation over hermione about her where ron is like well he's older and a quidditch player it's like girls are always dating these assholes what's up with that oh my god you're right this is after just here's what ron has done he he has he's done like oh like girls only date assholes um he called tro out for being a fake fan of a quidditch team um (laughs) he like threatened his cop powers on fred and george for throwing snowballs at a window he is the most unlikable character ever (laughs) He's truly terrible. He's black pilled Harry. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Harry, Harry now no longer views women as people. Uh, he stayed in he stayed in the uh, in the room of requirement, hoping to get some 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 pussy, and didn't get it. And now he's he doesn't want to talk to Joe ever again. And and Hermione is still friends with them it's both, miserable which is very it's sad. miserable um and also i guess like i don't want to harp on this too much but like we get the the dream scene um after this and other than the vision his actual dreams are so shitty like he like his his metaphorical feeling that is being presented to us is like cho is trying to take something from him right <coughs> i found that st- oh excuse me um i found that scene super fascinating because one like like 100 you're right like like that is that dream is just such a like clear manifestation of like oh cho tricked him uh and is and is uh demanding like like recompense from him uh (laughs) which is a really god excuse me my borange beer went down the wrong way. <laughs> um, uh, uh, which is, you know, again, like not not like shitty character writing, but just like like highlighting how fucked up Harry's view of the situation is. But also this this is was a really weird scene for me to read because this is like not in like content or like meaning, but just in like style. This is 100% the kind of dream I have. <laughs> my dreams are like the most boring normal like like i am i am meeting a friend and we have a conversation that is like very realistic but completely nonsense right like as soon as you think about it 
And then I wake up and I'm like, did that really happen? No, of course it didn't. Cause we were talking about something that makes absolutely zero sense. But like, that's the kind of dream I have is these very mundane, like rehashing of like realistic things. Yeah. And in that, in that way, uh, I really enjoyed this, the way that that contrasted with the vision. I really liked that demonstration yeah. of that where it's like, okay, here we are in what is a, obvious dream that goes into it's like oh but this is a vision which i think is like a cool thing rather than just most of harry's visions which are just like he has one he says it is one we know that to be true so i i like that contrast a lot but um i was a little bit disturbed by the content of the dream i also yes i also think it has some kind of like i i wanted i wanted to like put the discourse aside while we talk about the character work that is done here. But I am just like struck by how uncomfortable it is that Harry is having these, these thoughts. And it's like, um, it, it really feels like it is this, uh, maybe, maybe this is galaxy brain, but I'm just like, um, Harry is realizing that she's not just this like subservient, submissive, nice girl, she has feelings and is a human being. And I feel like that has kind of an Mm -hmm. an uncomfortable um, like element here that, that she is an Asian character and also like, yes, she's just going to get thrown away. Right. Like, like she, like this, this nothing, we don't get a payoff for Cho, right? Like she gets no, no, like I don't have a problem with a character acting badly. I feel like I've said that a million times on this podcast, but it's just like Cho is, is just going to be gone. And this is like Harry's opportunity to not learn a lesson. Like, I don't think he's going to get better. I don't think he's going to learn anything from here. I think I judging from like the way people react to the Cho Chang stuff, Typically, people end up feeling like Harry is the one who is who is uh, experiencing an injustice here, which scares me about this dream sequence. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to think if I'm like, yeah, Cho sure yeah. did trick him and is like trying to take him for all for all he's worth. I mean, I'll see your galaxy brain and I'll raise you my own. I think that the uh, the focus on the firebolt mm. in this scene is very interesting. My my luxury phallic object. Why would you take that from me? <laughs> right. His his luxury phallic object. Uh, she is demanding it from him, and I, like that is not. I don't feel like that's that crazy of a read for me because remember in the third book, the otherwise fantastic book, that whole chapter where he showed off his firebolt <laughs> to everyone and like. Percy's girlfriend was like, "Oh, like it's so big. Can I touch it?" Like it was there is some direct stuff in this book that like really makes the firebolt seem like this weird symbol of like Harry's like masculinity, right? right? Like yeah, it's a so really... so she wants his his rare chocolate frog cards and and his dick, right? He wants she wants his money and his dick and is uh right. has the gall to be a human being also. Yeah, uh, some some yes. kind of disturbing yes. implications yep. here. It's weird. It's it's very strange. I I I, I it, it it like I said. It's it's so funny because like the the very mundane depiction of the dream was so immediately like, oh, this is recognizable to me as a dream. This is exactly the kind of dream I have. Uh, mine are a little less uh, psycho, right, right, though, not evil. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't have. I I do not have evil dreams usually. <laughs> 
<laughs> no snake visions either, which honestly might be kind of cool. I like the vision. Yeah, it's, it's a whole big spooky, spooky, scary vision. Um, and that part is cool. Um, I would also like to say in my defense from last week when I said that this chapter would be getting some action, uh, I meant the action of the snake vision, but I didn't, I didn't, I was also <laughs> correct in that Harry got some action in a kiss. And, and didn't want it and didn't right. want it. Because because he realized he'd have to put in work with a person, for right? It. So so yeah. So I I think that this part is pretty effective, and I, I I also really like the aftermath of the vision where he's like trying to like him feeling frustrated that no one believes him about this vision thing is uh maybe the most sympathetic I have been to him in this book in a while. Yeah. Um. Because uh, that scene is quite powerful, and it's like it, it, it is a relief in the scene when, like, when like McGonagall finally says, "Like, I believe you. Let's go." But uh, there's like that moment of panic that he has as he's waking up, where like no one believes him and stuff. It's like this is quite an effective moment. I yeah, think. yeah, I, I I did enjoy that. I like to see the kind of plot um, moving along, if if there is one, the, the semblance of a plot that this book does have um, uh, is is always fun fun when it pops up i feel like i have been really really down on this chapter with us talking about it but i did really like it overall it is it is one of those chapters where like i i think uh when you dig into the stuff behind the story it gets very messy but that's harry potter and that's what we're here to do right um but like as a chapter of harry potter to just read and enjoy i i did like it was good i I, i'm i'm not we have we have not hit the problem that we had with goblet of fire at least not for me where goblet of fire was like actually not fun to read as well as having a lot of issues yeah it really dragged like some of those chapters i would routinely like flip to see how many pages i had left which is not a great sign whereas this book i mostly haven't been doing that in general i'm like oh that was a fun one and i enjoyed it i think this this chapter in particular had a good dose of um like school life stuff um i think it had like good character drama um and it had dobby decorating um hairy ornaments for christmas which i (laughs) stuck into my summary only because i was so scared of forgetting it because i was so delighted i am delighted we, by we that didn't have room yeah we, we didn't have room to really discuss it but what is there to discuss it is just adorable he, he, we so, he put, so he put up um like christmas ornaments like the, the christmas balls with harry's face on it that says have a hairy christmas Harry christmas what the fuck does that <laughs> even mean i love dobby dobby is the best of us all right. Well, I think it's time for us to take a break. We've gone on quite long yeah. in this chapter. But this was a this was a barnstormer of a chapter. It really was. There was a lot. There's a lot packed into this one. So uh, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and celebrate a certain someone's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Draco Malfoy, who is a bad guy. Happy birthday 
to you. Thank you for uh, letting me sing that all by myself. I'm, so, I'm sorry my I left you. Ha- I, I, um, I thought about joining in, um, but decided to leave you hanging mostly because I sang the Dragon Tales theme song last oh, week. That's true. So Fair I enough. felt like it was kind of your turn to do the singing. Hey, I looked that up, by the way. Uh, yeah. That song is a bop. It is a bop. It's that's a very cute of, show. Kind of a bop. Uh, uh, I, I did put that in there at the end of the episode as well as an Easter egg instead of our closing theme oh nice um because uh, yeah i was i was grooving to that it was it was good yeah it's a good one it is draco malfoy's birthday um he would be uh 39 years old if he was mm. alive and a real person but he is not <laughs> um and uh instead we only have tom felton who is t- 29 i think and and uh and films cameo videos next to garbage cans so those those seem to have gotten worse and worse over time i'm very concerned about tom felton the newest one is abjectly horrifying it really looks like a cry for help he's like it it, it, like we've made the comparison to like game audio logs before (laughs) and like the one that he the most recent one that i found really just looks like the one you find right before like the zombies attack you in the game right right yeah it's like they they know they're done for and it's like the audio log cuts out halfway through and you're like oh something bad happened yeah exactly um but we are not here to celebrate him specifically we are here to celebrate draco malfoy's birthday with uh i've got kind of a little grab bag thing here um i've got uh his official pottermore bio which i believe was written by jk rowling um it is very funny and i'm not sure uh if it is something i'm going to read all the way through but it is it is uh very funny from perspective that it is you know that video from the other podcast uh that we talk about sometimes about uh could you see things from petunia dursley's perspective oh sure yeah um this feels like one of those but official kind of um i I, I liked that i liked that vague uh description (laughs) that you that you gave (laughs) just vaguing you know um but uh i'd like to to kind of dig into this and and we can we can maybe embellish a little bit as well because we i think we have our own thoughts on draco malfoy sure yeah so this is from pottermore i actually don't believe this writing is actually on pottermore anymore because this was the one that you had to unlock by doing all the like slytherin challenges on pottermore i like, thought all of those are buried in like it might be buried the somewhere. footnotes of other articles so they're very difficult to find but i'm pretty sure they're all there okay draco malfoy grew up an only child at malfoy manor the magnificent mansion in wiltshire which had been in the family's possession for many centuries from the time when he could talk, he made it. Cl- it was made clear to him he was a tri- he was triply special. Uh, first, as a wizard; secondly, as a pureblood; and thirdly, as a member of the Malfoy family. And someone named Dragon. His first name is Dragon. Draco tales. Draco tales. Draco was raised in an atmosphere of regret that the Dark Lord had not succeeded in <laughs> taking command of the wizarding community oh darn what a what a mm, just living in this in this world of shame and regret is that 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 true 
I get that's what this says. I th- I thought that Lucius was kind of. I mean, I know that he's like a true believer as far as like his, um, you know, like race science goes, like wizard race science. But at the same time, I thought that his allegiance with Voldemort, like he was much more painted as like an opportunist. I don't. Yeah. I don't feel like he was really out there being like. I, I I don't know about that because uh, he <laughs> immediately cozied up with like the Minister of Magic and, and right. got very, very influential there. Yeah, he's just kind of a leech, right? He'll go uh, yeah, wherever. I, I don't know. I don't know about this atmosphere of regret in this household. It sounds it, it makes me feel like they're just like constantly in mourning for Voldemort, well, which was kind maybe, of the opposite. Maybe they're not in mourning, but like maybe, you know, Lucius Malfoy is a very like well kept together guy. But like maybe Malfoy, you know, Draco was waking up and like like walking into the den and his dad was like, you know, wearing sweatpants and like hadn't shaved and was watching Point Break. Oh, yeah. And whatever. Like, I know we're not supposed to have muggle artifacts, but like this movie's pretty good. He shoots his gun in the air. He's really he's really hitting the fire whiskey the the night before (laughs) and it's just just not holding up very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in childhood, Draco associated mainly with the pure-blooded children of his father's ex-Death Eater cronies, and therefore Wait, arrived- Wait, who are those people? I guess Crab and Goyle? Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he arrived at Hogwarts with a small gang of friends already made, including oh. Vincent Crab and Theodore Knott, who I don't think- Excuse me? I don't think Theodore not isn't a character that we see very often. I don't we s- we know he's there, right? He's like named, but you can't you can't say Vincent Crab. <laughs> he arrived. And with 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 Crab and Theodore. <laughs> <laughs> with Crab Crab and Teddy, here they are. His, Everyone yeah, knows those... the famous the famous duo from Harry Potter, uh Vincent Crab and Theodore Not. Theodore Not. <laughs> Like every other child of Harry Potter's age, Draco heard stories of the boy who lived throughout his youth. Many different theories had been in circulation for years as to how Harry survived what should have been a lethal attack, and one of the most persistent was that Harry himself was a great dark wizard. The Ooh. fact that he had been removed from the wizarding community seemed to be uh, seemed to wishful thinkers to support this view, and Draco's father, wily Lucius Malfoy, was one of those who subscribed most eagerly to the theory. Is this true? Is this does this ever appear in the book? I'm having the, fan fiction brain poisoning. I'm not really sure. I, I I've definitely heard that before where it's like, you know, it's the um well from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. It's like, well, Harry Potter was actually a dark wizard because Voldemort is trying to do good, right? And that's how You know what this reminds me of? What? Baldur's Gate. Oh, damn, it does. Baldur's Gate, because you're the son of Ball. Right. The, yeah, you're the child of Ball. The, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, Lucius might be in it for a second chance of world domination should this Potter boy prove to be another and greater pure blood champion. It was therefore in the knowledge that he was doing nothing of which his father would disapprove and in the hope that he might be able to relay some interesting news home, that Draco Malfoy offered Harry Potter his hand when he realized he was on the Hogwarts Express. That, okay, I know they mean handshake, but I, I, I cannot, when you say you're offering your hand to someone, my view instantly goes to marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, this this is a great, um, a great start for a, um, uh, 
fuck what what is that that trope of fan fiction called where it's like oops oh marriage law right like oh. oh they were they were they were betrothed and they didn't like each other but they had to get married and oh, ooh, there was only one bed Mar- <laughs> fuck i forgot all the marriage law isn't that like a specifically harry potter one too yeah because like- it's, it's like at the end of the war like they they made it a law that that right. purebloods had to marry muggleborns or whatever to like f- <laughs> like make sure that wizards don't die out yeah. or whatever and then it's like yeah. oops Hermione has to marry Draco. What are they gonna do? There was only one bed. Harry's refusal of Draco's friendly overtures and the fact that he had already formed <laughs> His overtures. I like that. <laughs> he was playing a lovely symphony this, overture. This article has a has an agenda. Yes. Uh, a dreary agenda. Uh, and the fact that he had already formed allegiance to Ron Weasley, whose family is anathema to the Malfoys, turns Malfoy against him at once. Sorry, I already joined the Mage Guild. I can't join the Thieves Guild. <laughs> uh, Draco realized correctly that the wild hopes of the ex-Death Eaters that Harry Potter was another and better Voldemort are completely unfounded, and their mutual enmity is assured from that point. Is that... Tr- yep, is that that's what uh, happened. Uh, okay, that's, how, this... that's just how it went down. Much of Draco's behavior at school was modeled on the, the most impressive person he knew, his father, and he faithfully copied Lucius's cold and contemptuous manner to everyone outside his inner circle. Having recruited a second henchman, Crab being already in position pre-Hogwarts, I need my henchman's already in position at Hogwarts. What happened to Not? He just dropped, I guess he just dropped Not. Just no, no more, no more <laughs> Theodore. Uh, on the train to school, the less physically imposing Draco used Crab and Goyle as a combination of henchman and bodyguard throughout his six years of school life. I'm just picturing that scene from the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone PlayStation game where they do like a full on just like slapstick um, Three Stooges routine. Where they bump into each other and run opposite directions out of the house. And it's also just like completely silent. Like they didn't put any music behind it. That's a beautiful scene. (laughs) Draco's feelings for Harry were always based... Okay, this is actually what it says. Draco's feelings for Harry were always based in a great part on envy. This 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 article has an agenda. It really does. Uh though he never sought fame, Harry was unquestionably the most talked about and admired person at school, and this naturally jarred with a boy who had been brought up to believe that he occupied an almost royal position within the wizarding community. What was more, Harry was the mo- was most talented at flying. And the one, uh, the one skill at which Malfoy had been confident he would outshine all other first years. The fact that the potions master Snape had a soft spot for Malfoy and despised Harry was only slight compensation. Can his parents buy him some like private flying lessons or something? Yeah, they're, they're supposed to be very rich. Draco resorted to... I mean, he, he, I just realized, remember that he bought an entire uh, team, a school team... Uh, uh new brooms so right. like i guess like i guess that's like a sad thing for draco if it's like it's like father may will you Papa. will you hire uh victor crumb to give me private flying lessons and he's like no but i will buy your whole team new cars <laughs> it's like okay i guess that's cool sort of um 
Uh, Draco resorted to many different dirty tactics in his perpetual quest to get under Harry's skin. Dirty mm. tactics, you say? Mm. Uh, or discredit him in the eyes of others, including, but not limited to, telling lies about him to the press, manufacturing insulting badges. He did the insulting badges <laughs> thing multiple times, as we have discovered. This is this is a, a weapon in his arsenal that he is not afraid to, to use. <laughs> Attempting to curse him from behind and dressing up as one of the Dementors. I would never make an insulting badge. Like that, that, is, that is a level of uh, pettiness that I cannot even imagine a real human being there's, doing at any there's, point. There's nobody in this world that you would make a badge insulting. <laughs> there are plenty of people I'd want to insult, but I just, I'm not about to make a badge and wear it around. <laughs> that honestly, that, that, um, I feel like if someone makes a badge about you, you've kind of successfully, like you've won, right? Like. Like you're you're in their head if they're making badges about you, I guess, right? Like, like definitely, yeah. Especially when you're making like sarcastic badges. Like there was a point where it was like, yeah, he he was making a badge that just said Potter stinks. Like that's pretty funny. But at the point where you're like, uh, yeah, I made this badge. It says Weasley is my king. It's sarcastic <laughs> yes. though. Uh, Nothing could ever possibly backfire with uh, this. You know, I, I have more of this badge where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm licking Ron's boots. Uh, but it's sarcastic. Like I'm definitely not doing that. I'm definitely not subservient to Ron Weasley as suggested I've, I've, by my badge. I've I, I I got this really funny badge of me and Ron Weasley kissing, and the joke <laughs> is that it's so ridiculous. We'd never do that. We'd never kiss, but here it is. It's my very good badge, and he's going to flip out when he sees this, because we'd never kiss. <laughs> uh, however, Malfoy had his own moment of humiliation at Harry's hands, notably on the Quidditch pitch, and never forgot the shame of being turned into a bouncing ferret by a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Uh, while many people thought that Harry Potter, who had witnessed the Dark Lord's rebirth, was a liar or fantasist, Draco Malfoy was one of the few people who knew that Harry was telling the truth. His own father had felt, uh, had felt his dark mark burn and had flown to rejoin the Dark Lord, witnessing Harry and Voldemort's graveyard duel. Uh, the discussion of these events at Malfoy Manor. I love this this picture. This <laughs> the discussion of these events at Malfoy Manor, just all the Malfoys sitting around this giant table. Oh my Just gosh, like, I love, I, yes, I love this. Like, I, I'm imagining it's like family night. Um, we're in this atmosphere of regret still, so they're kind of, <laughs> it's like, kind of a bummer. It's been a bummer for a while, um, but it's like, you know, it, Lucius Malfoy is like, okay, I know, I know that this is our night to watch Point Break on the VHS, um, but uh, we need to have a family meeting and i have i have a story to tell um, Fam- harry and voldemort had a duel and they floated up into the air and there was a cage of golden light around them and it, <laughs> and it had this beautiful phoenix song and then there were some ghosts that popped out uh so that yeah i really like that image of the malfoy family meeting i'm a, I'm a little bit worried because because the dark lord called us all out by name very specifically <laughs> Uh, so Harry knows that I was there. Also, 
Uh, he didn't actually manage to kill him. So Harry is out there and he knows that I was there. And also Crabs, your friend Crabs father was there. Uh, the executioner who tried to kill that, that, uh, wretched creature. He was there too. Uh, at one point he made me kiss his feet, which was a little embarrassing. Uh, and now Harry is alive and has seen that. So uh, anyway, I heard you made some badges. Uh, on the one hand, he was thrilled by the secret knowledge that Voldemort had returned and that what his father had always described as the family's glory days were back once more. On the other, the whispered discussions about the way that Harry had again evaded the Dark Lord's attempt to kill it him. It wasn't a secret. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Not a secret. Uh, caused Draco further twinges of anger and envy. Uh, much as the Death Eaters disliked Harry as an obstacle uh, and as a symbol, he was discussed seriously as an adversary, whereas Draco was still relegated to the status of schoolboy by Death Eaters who met at his parents' house. Get out of here. We're, bu- <laughs> you, oh, we're, we're busy watching Point Break and discussing how we're going to take over the ministry. The waiter outfit doesn't help. No, yeah, I'm just imagining like 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 Draco like kind of like sneaking into one of these meetings his dad's having with all the all the Death Eater guys, and he's like, "I've got an idea for you. What if we get some badges?" And they say, "Harry <laughs> Potter sucks." No worse. Uh, Harry, Harry Potter is our king and can surely defeat the Dark Lord. Just Harry kidding. Potter, Harry Potter could kick Voldemort's ass, and then it switches to uh, a smiling face that says, "J.K." <laughs> No no, 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 no one will be confused by this. I, I actually, this is a, a, sorry to have a moment of sincerity here. Um, yeah. But I, I know we've talked a little bit about in this book, um, having like shifting point of views and how yeah. cool that would be. Yeah. As a possibility. I really would have liked to see a scene where it's like Draco is trying to, like get into the death eater meeting yeah. right? and it, and it's yeah. being disregarded as like too young or a schoolboy at the same time that harry is doing the same at the order of the phoenix that could yeah, have been cool. Be cool i don't know yeah. if we get to see more of that stuff in like book six or whatever but that's this it. this this like very well-rounded character that this pottermore article presents is like fascinating and i wish that this was draco's actual right, character I'm like, almost. The, I'm like this is this is very cool instead he pops up to say stuff like uh uh maybe if you see someone die you can catch the ball weasley (laughs) (laughs) ever thought of that stupid yeah i uh uh yeah i don't i don't know about i don't know about this one we straight up swallow we're the okay we're the death eaters uh and we're gonna get these badges that say we we're gonna swallow harry potter so like we're we're imagining like like you know imagine like like yeah we're the darkness and he's the light and you know we're swallowing him up uh so so that's my that's my proposal very cool uh uh let's see where where did i leave off um though though they were on opposing sides of the gathering battle draco felt envious of harry's status he cheered himself up by imagining Voldemort's triumph, seeing his family honored under a new regime, and he himself uh, faded at Hogwarts as the ultimate and impressive son of Voldemort's <laughs> second-in-command. I love to be the ultimate and impressive son. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's me. That's me, Draco. The rest is getting into spoiler territory for us, which isn't a huge deal, but it's a long article, so I'm going to skip down to the J.K. Rowling's thoughts Oh, uh, sure. Section. 
J.K. Rowling's thoughts. Uh, when the series began, or excuse me, when the series begins, Draco is in almost every way the arch- archetypical bully. Uh, with the unquestioning belief in his own superior status, he is imbibed from his uh, pure blood parents. That sounds like he drank their blood. I've imbibed. I've imbibed your status. Draco Malfoy is a vampire. Dot com. He initially offers Harry friendship on the assumption that uh, that the offer needs only to be made to be accepted. The wealth of his family stands in contrast to the poverty of the Weasleys. Uh, This too is a source of pride to Draco, even though the Weasley Weasley's blood credentials are identical to his own. Everyone recognizes Draco because everyone has known someone like him. Such people's belief in their own superiority can be infuriating, laughable, or intimidating. Depending on the circumstances in which one meets them, Draco succeeds in provoking all those feelings in Harry, Ron, and Hermione at one time or another. My British editor questioned the fact that Draco was so accomplished at occlumency, which Harry, for all his ability in producing a Patronus, never mastered. I argued that it was perfectly consistent with Draco's character, that he would find it easy to shut down emotion, to compartmentalize, and to deny essential parts of himself. Dumbledore tells Harry at the end of the Order of the Phoenix that it is an essential part of his humanity that he can feel such pain. With Draco, I was attempting to show that the denial of pain and the suppression of inner conflict can only lead to a damaged person who is much more likely to inflict damage on other people. Again, really cool. This is not the character we get in the books. That is a very interesting take. I feel yeah. like maybe she should have listened to her editor a little bit because we never get to see that stuff. Yeah, that stuff is cool. Like like, like this, this version of Draco that we have uh, here uh is uh is kind of i don't know kind of impressive like this would be a cool character huh that's very interesting i imagine that draco grew up to lead a modified version of his father's existence independently (laughs) wealthy without any need to work draco inhabits malfoy manor with his wife and son i see in his hobbies further confirmation of his dual nature the collection of dark artifacts harks back to family history even though he keeps them in glass cases and does not use them however his stra- okay so so draco is one of those <laughs> weird like world war ii memorabilia guys who like he collects all the nazi medals but like doesn't wear them right he's just like i just think right it's cool. right I yeah just, that's just, just history it's, cool it's history i like the history i just think it's cool to only have glass cases full of uh full of nazi memorabilia right yeah <laughs> uh however his strange interest in alchemical manuscripts from which he was he never attempts to make a philosopher wait his strange interest in alchemical manuscripts from which he never attempts to make a philosopher's stone hints at a wish for something other than wealth perhaps even the wish to be a better man wait but the wait 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 wait. but the philosopher's stone and the uh pursuit of immortality Vitality, which is the only Voldemort. other thing that the philosopher's stone does other than make lead into gold is specifically framed as a bad thing in these yeah. books right like that's the lesson <laughs> yeah. that's like you know you don't want to live forever like what this is such an interesting version of malfoy that does not exist right i'm assuming this is cursed child related but no. I, I think there's a lot uh well i think there's a lot more stuff in half-blood prince to be fair I, just, like, I, I don't know remember draco ever being interested in alchemy that's a new one for me is there like a scene in cursed child where you go to malfoy manor and you see all his nazi memorabilia and then his like <laughs> alchemical manuscripts and he, and he yeah, has like, like a line like, where he's like you know, oh i don't ever try to make this <laughs> he's 
like invites Harry over and it's like, it's very friendly, but it's, you know, they're kind of holding each other at arm's distance. And, right. and like Harry's just like, like, yeah, this is a nice place we got here. What's with all the, uh, what's with all the Death Eater stuff? And, and, and he's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just part of history. I just find it interesting. He's like, Harry's like, yeah, me too. But like, you've only got the, you've, you've only got the Death Eater stuff, man. So right. what's with that? Yeah. And, and, and Draco's like, look, I'm getting into, I'm getting into alchemy. Uh, I figure I can use it to make some even cooler badges. Do you need any badges for anything you're doing? They're not sarcastic this time. Yeah, I'm 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 a changed man. I'm making uh, I'm making nice badges now. It's Weasley as our king, but like for real, man. Do you want (laughs) one? Yeah, could you give this to him and let him know I made this? You know, just uh, you know, I I called him, but uh, you know, he never picked up. So if you could give him this, but explain to him that this one is not sarcastic. (laughs) Draco had many surnames before I settled on Malfoy. At various times in the earliest drafts, he is Smart, Spinx, or Spongin. Yeah, now he's Bad Dragon. Good job, <laughs> Oh no, I've never even considered that. I'm sorry. Oh, oh no, that's what he does. That's what he doesn't. It's chill. Harry, Harry, I've used these alchemical... I I have made this lube that looks like nut (laughs) that you can put inside them. And and, where are you going, Harry? (laughs) Uh, Draco Spinx would be a fucking amazing name. Wait, we read what Hermione's last name was going to be. Was it Hermione Puckle? Puckle. Puckle. Puckle and Spinx. There, that's my, I'm a Puckle and Spinx shipper. Yeah, that's a, that's the new name of our Hogsmeade shop. <laughs> Puckle and Spinx sounds like a fucking insufferable like, uh, uh, like like one of those awful like like farm to table ranches that we find on the uh, on the uh, uh, fucking. What's William the, Sonoma YouTube Yeah, the William Sonoma channel. YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, no, that is. That's like the farm to table restaurant in uh in Hogsmeade. We're Puckle and Spinx. Uh, <laughs> we met we met in Brooklyn, uh, but we moved out to upstate. Uh and now we just make these beautiful uh Harry Potter badges. They're not sarcastic, they're very <laughs> sincere. Uh, his Christian name comes from a constellation, the dragon, and yet his wand core is of unicorn. This oh. was symbolic. There is, after all, and at the risk of rekindling unhealthy fantasies, some unextinguished good at the heart of Draco. JK Rowling. JK Rowling, you scamp. <laughs> You little scamp, you! Well, that that was beautiful. I'm I'm so thankful that uh, this this has been archived because, like I said, I didn't find this on Pottermore. I had to find like a, a weird website that had like gotten all of the stuff from the Pottermore games. Right. So now I think you know we we've had we we we've had a big birthday celebration where we've sort of gone over his you know we we we've we've thrown a surprise party for Draco. We sat him down. We showed him like a presentation of his like, this is your life. Kind of walked through his biography and stuff. Had a good time. But now it's time to celebrate. Sure. Uh, I've got some I've got some song parodies here. Uh, I was not expecting that. (laughs) 
What were you expecting? Anything else. Song parodies, huh? Song parodies from MuggleNet.com. Oh, beautiful. I'm ready. This is called Hey Draco Malfoy. I what I'm I don't know what the to song the, could be. To the tune of Hey There Delilah by the Plain oh, White Tees. I should have known. Hey Draco Malfoy, how's it over there in Britain? You're 3498 <laughs> miles away. Uh, but you really have me smitten. Yes, you do. Harry isn't as cool as you. I swear it's true. Is it the hey, Draco- <laughs> hey, Draco Malfoy, your dad's in with the Dark Lord and your family are Death Eaters. When they kill you, you know they are bored. Don't join them. The rest of the world <laughs> no. will be condemned. It could be the end. This is... Uh, let's see. I'm not gonna do the chorus because it's just oh, Draco Malfoy. Okay. Uh, hey, Draco Malfoy. You don't envy Harry's scar. You're a high class pureblood. You wouldn't be caught dead flying a Muggle car. Muggles are dirt. To Dumbledore's <laughs> ways, you won't revert. <laughs> to him, you are curt. Oh uh, yeah. Hey, Draco Malfoy. You've got to make a choice now. Voldy or Harry? What side will you choose? You have to make a vow. Don't join your dad. You'd make millions of fangirls sad and very mad. That's beautiful. That's some beautiful stuff. What a beautiful song. Uh, my my last thing here is I reached into the old Reddit grab bag and yeah. I have uh, a combination uh, Draco, a uh, piece of Draco content slash uh, cursed child information that has made me uh, curse child. Every time something pops up about it, I'm like, I'm I'm so I can't wait for us to to go see it slash uh someone to not send us a uh a Broadway bootleg of it. Right, because we're very against that, and I would be very upset if someone sent us a Broadway bootleg of the Cursed Child to our email address. Um I would <laughs> that would be very upsetting to me. Uh but I couldn't really can't really stop that from happening. Right. Well, this is from someone who I re- will reveal after I've read the post. Oh, that's so exciting. Creepiest part of Cursed Child, Draco Malfoy wanting to be dominated by Hermione Granger. <laughs> Here's Why is a that quote. Creepy? Here's a quote. Draco, Hermione Granger. I'm being bossed around by Hermione Granger. She turns toward him, he smiles, and I'm mildly enjoying it. Anyone find this line to be very creepy, as it, at least to me, sounds very sexual in nature, and the fact Hermione <laughs> smiles feels very off to me, even if she smiled before the bad bit of the line. Aren't they I mean, both despite thirty, like I guess I don't <laughs> yeah, know like their... what what time period they're in. Yeah, they w- they would be in their thirties for this play. Uh, I mean, despite him improving, this is the same man that almost killed Ron in Half Blood Prince, and I really didn't did not see uh, seem to feel any guilt over it either. Hermione should not be getting along with him like that. What does everyone else think? Is the comment sexual, or am I reading too much into it? Also, is Malfoy developing some weird crush on Hermione and Cursed Child like we see a lot in fan fiction? <laughs> uh, you're right. I, lo- I-, I almost don't want to see or read Cursed Child because anytime I encounter like a little nugget, like a little detail, yeah, it's like just, a, like- it sends me on such a roller coaster. Right, like like we, we like we were listening to the soundtrack a couple weeks ago, and that was a trip. Like absolutely not what we expected at all. 
uh and now and now we've got uh, got uh, draco wanting to be donned by hermione would you like to take a guess at who posted this or shall i just tell you uh why kick a moo cow you are 100 correct this is a why kick a moo cow classic i can just i can just tell our our fucking hero. This is the uh, kind. This is the kind of issue that Why Kick a Moo Cow is concerned with on the Harry Potter subreddit day to day. I just knew it. I knew it immediately by the title. Yes, the heights of the characters, their sexual proclivities. He's he's fucking on it. Oh, how feminist is Ginny? That was another one. Right. He's, yeah. Why Kick a Moo Cow? Honestly, probably my number one hero on the subreddit. If I had to like pick a character. Yeah. Like, yeah, like he, I, I guess this deserves a sincere answer, which is where I will say, no, it is not creepy. It sounds like a throwaway joke. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like they're they're joking around with each other. It's fine. And also, if he did, would that really be so bad? Is that so? Is that what's the problem? I, I don't see who, a problem here. Yeah, who 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 could uh, who could fault him? All right. Well. I think that's all I have for this. Uh, so unless you have anything to say to Draco on his birthday, I'm going to take us to the close. Um, I hope that he uh, gets a new suit for his birthday. I hope he at least gets a tie he can wear with a suit and like a shirt to offset the black. So it's like, you know, like a suit and not like a waiter's uniform. That would be great. Maybe. Yeah, right, I, I agree. That right, would be, right. We all chipped in. We're sending him to a tailor. Or perhaps uh, just a nice a nice wizard robe, because that's what they wear <laughs> in the wizard world. Right. I thought. You'd think, yeah, you'd think you'd be a little more invested in like wizard tradition, right? Yeah, maybe it's wizard tradition to wear that weird suit for like your sixth year only. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird wizard prank. Uh, 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 how long can you wear a suit before the teachers yell at you? <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them, as always, for letting us use that as our theme song. You can check them out on Bandcamp. Uh, we just launched a store. Uh, we have T-shirts and we're going to have more designs coming in. But right now you can get the Dead Dobby Motorcycle Club shirt or uh, my very special Shrieking Shack black metal album cover design. Um, uh, if you have ever wanted to explain in great detail that your shirt uh is a sarcastic badge um oh my god it is a sarcastic badge <laughs> we, oh my we god we fell that, into that, our own trap oh no this is oh, <laughs> oh, oh oh you're a harry potter fan uh no it's sarcastic uh <laughs> <laughs> we we have made we have made some some lovely harry potter sarcastic badges you can wear <laughs> <laughs> and, no no and, uh, it's not true we are sincere dobby fans here it's true we love dobby we love dobby and we we are uh building a, a lovely funeral fund for him <laughs> <laughs> you can also check us out on patreon patreon.com slash shriekcast uh we are rolling out kind of a new uh plan for bonus stuff we're going to add another tier um with just some more uh, uh kind of like interaction interactive goodies um and earlier bonus content and uh bigger bonus episodes focused on you know books and movies and stuff that we want to discuss and don't really want to just jam into the common room anymore um so the common room will stay kind of our goof off show and then we're going to have some more focused uh, uh, ex- exploration episodes. And 
it would be remiss of me to end this segment without asking Liz, what are we reading next week? Uh, we're reading chapter 22, and it is called St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries, a.k.a. We're saying hello and goodbye to Lockhart, I believe. Oh, oh, oh ooh, ooh, this is going to be bittersweet. Ooh, ooh. Mm, bittersweet. It's been a I'm long time since we've seen Lockhart. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a shame. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, before we go, we've got to kill Umbridge. Right. This is number 14. Trick her into insulting house elves in front of Hermione. I wonder if someone can be beaten to death with a knitted hat. Um, probably not. Um, <laughs> that would be impressive. That would be impressive. An impressive feat of strength from Hermione. I really um thought that that was going to end just like threaten house elves and i thought that was going to be like a weird piece of lore but now i really like that they're kind of like the um uh the zelda chickens right <laughs> yeah if you if yeah if you accidentally like slap a house elf or something it'll like they just like, swarm just, you and just yeah fucking destroy you hell yeah that's so good that's such a good image uh, and then Flute Piano, the intrepid hero, has commented, nah, Hermione just hex her over and over and over, and boom, splat, she dead, bye. Hmm. Again, visceral. I appreciate these comments very much. Very visceral. Thank you, Flute Piano. Well, uh, you know, we are going to be reading another book for our bonus episode, and we also have to deal with some very traumatic uh, Lockhart uh, encounters in our next reading so i would suggest do what i'm going to be doing this week and read another book please read another book this hot mama is just a cat in disguise